Back in January of 2009, some leaders of Charlotte, North Carolina, invited their favorite son, Billy Graham, who had grown up in the Charlotte area, to come and be honored at a luncheon that was all planned to simply honor him and his life. At first, Mr. Graham was hesitant because he suffers from Parkinson's disease. But the leader said, look, Dr. Graham, we're not expecting a major address or anything. Please, just come and let us honor you. And so he finally agreed. And after some incredibly glowing things had been said uh, about Mr. Graham and an award given, uh, he stepped up to the rostrum and he said, I'm reminded today of Albert Einstein, the great physicist who once was traveling from Princeton on a train. And the conductor came through and began to punch everybody's tickets, and Einstein couldn't find his. He checked in his coat pocket, wasn't there. In his trousers, was not there. He checked his briefcase and looked in the seat. He could not find it. And the conductor said, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. Everybody knows who you are. I, I'm sure you, you bought a ticket. Look, no problem. You, you don't need your ticket. And Einstein nodded appreciatively. The conductor went on punching tickets, but before the conductor moved into the next car to punch theirs, he looked back and saw the famous physicist down on his hands and knees on the floor of the train, searching frantically. So he ran back and said, Dr. Einstein, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. I'm sure you bought a ticket. You don't really need it. And Einstein said, young man, I too know who I am. What I don't know is where I'm going, right? And so after sharing that story, Billy Graham said, you know, I've got a new suit on today. My children and grandchildren have been telling me that I've looked a little slovenly in my old age. I used to be very fashionable and fastidious about these kinds of things, but they're telling me I, I need to try to look a little sharper. So I went out and bought a new suit for this occasion, and this suit is going to be worn on one other occasion. You know what that occasion is? When I die. This is the suit I want to be buried in. But when you hear that Billy Graham has died, I hope that you'll not remember this suit. I hope you'll remember this, that I not only know who I am, by God's grace, I know where I'm going. Now let me ask you, could that be said of you? Could you declare confidently, I know where I'm going? You know, without confidence in your final destination, it's kind of hard to have an exciting and abundant and fulfilling life right here and now. If you were on a cruise ship and terrorists came on board and commandeered the ship and took over and gleefully declared that they were going to ram the port of Miami in two days. I doubt if you'd pig out at the buffet or laugh at the entertainment in the coming hours. Now, you would be obsessed with the impending doom. and You would pray above all else that the leaders on board would get control of this ship again and subdue those terrorists. Because you see, without assurance of a safe harbor out there, it's really hard to enjoy life right now. 
That's why the Bible says, and I love this verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we're to be pitied more than all men and women. That's an incredible thought. Our hope is not just in this life. And Christians, we, you need to understand that the Bible repeatedly says, look, heaven is for real in various words. And it reminds us not only is heaven real, but it tells us to fix our hope on heaven and what is to come to us then. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, we don't look at the things that we can see. We look at the things we cannot see. The things which are seen are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. We fix our minds. We set our hearts on things above. That's just what we do as Christians because it is such an incredible hope we have of a safe harbor, of a safe landing. You know, I think some of our lives are so good, we may have trouble doing that because most of us enjoy life pretty well right now. And the idea of setting our hearts and fixing our minds on things above and thinking about heaven probably doesn't appeal to us that much. Oh, we want to go one day, but I don't want to think too much about it right now. I'm having too much fun, having a great time, and, and that's, that's understandable. Slaves in the early years of this country, boy, they knew how to fix their hope on heaven. Life being so oppressed, so miserable, they sang songs about my home in heaven. I've got rewards and riches stored up there. And that hope of heaven to come helped them to endure a life that was more miserable than most of us could ever even imagine. It is so important that we understand that we were made for more than this. I have here on the platform a fish in a fishbowl. Did you ever look at a fish in a fishbowl and feel sorry for that fish? <laughs> this little guy here, I'll guarantee you he's got plenty of food to eat. He's got some water to swim around in, but can I tell you something I know about this fish? He's not really all that happy. You know why? Because he knows deep inside that he was made for more than this. More freedom. More challenge. Even though he's never been in a lake before, he knows there's got to be something bigger, something grander, something better than this. So when you watch him, he's nudging up against the edges. He's longing, he's yearning, he's searching for something more. There's got to be more challenge, more freedom, more abundance than this. Can I tell you something? That fish is like us in this fallen world with all of its crazy limitations. And deep inside of us, deep inside of us is a yearning for something more. That's why the early Christians who were so oppressed and persecuted often prayed, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. Let it be today. Because they long for that something more. I love what C.S. Lewis wrote in his famous book, Mere Christianity. This book, by the way, was voted 
by Christianity today as the book of the century in the 20th century. Not the book of the decade, not, not the book of the year, the book of the century, mere Christianity. Lewis writes, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim, there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire, there's such a thing as sex. Then he goes on to say, if I find within myself a desire in which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that probably doesn't, that doesn't prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. Brothers and sisters, God, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, has set eternity in our hearts. And we hunger for the real thing. Like that fish, we want something more. We want out of here. We can only imagine what God has in store for us in heaven. So in this series, So You Die, Then What? We come today to the topic of what is heaven like? And I'm excited. I want you to go with me on this journey to jot some things down on your note sheet if you'd like to. And I want us to go to the scriptures and look at 10 things that the Bible makes pretty clear to us are going to be in heaven. 10 realities about heaven. And let's learn together. And I want to invite you as we do this journey to just kind of imagine. Because sometimes I'm going to go well beyond what the scripture actually says. And I'm just going to imagine what might be. And I invite you to do the same. All right? Let's get started. First of all, God the Creator will be there. Revelation 21 verse 3 puts it like this, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Now please listen carefully. Everybody, believer and non-believer, will stand before God in judgment. That's the truth. But here's the thing. When we stand before God, we will either be under God's grace or we'll be under his wrath. You hear what I'm saying? When we stand before God, all of us will either be under God's grace or under God's wrath. We'll be under his grace because we trusted in Jesus alone and what he did for us at the cross, or we'll be under God's wrath because we rejected the love of God through Jesus our Lord and his sacrifice at the cross, and we kept God out of our lives. But we will stand before God. When I was growing up, we used to sing a kind of an old country gospel, southern gospel song, and the song went like this, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, when I, he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. And I'll tell you, folks, when we stand before God the creator, what a day, if we're under his grace, 
What a day, glorious day that will be. But secondly, I believe there will be activities, activities and adventure in heaven that will be abundant. Now, again, we've got to let our imagination go here because the Bible doesn't tell us step by step what's going to happen when we arrive. But imagine what your first day in heaven might be like. I don't know, but I kind of envision it like arriving at Disney World, maybe for the very first time. Maybe you've never been there before. Imagine going through the gates, and you see Mickey and Goofy and all these characters, and you see incredible numbers of people milling around, and most of them have smiles on their face, and the kids are bouncing off the wall, and it's really, really exciting. But you don't go very far until you realize, wow, this place is huge. We better get a plan because we got a limited amount of time. And so you quickly as a family sit down and you go, well, we, we want to go to this kingdom, and we don't want to miss that kingdom, and we want to ride on the, this ride, and we want to go eat at that place, and we want to hear this musical group play, and we want to experience this, this special thing at this time. And so you make your plan because you go, we're never going to get all of this in. One of my favorite statements about heaven is the one that Jesus made. Have you ever read this statement in John's Gospel, chapter 14? He said, in my Father's house are many rooms. I wonder what some of those rooms might be and some of the things we can do there. Because I think there will be adventure and activity and excitement. Maybe there will be a question and answer room. You got any questions? Boy, I do. You'll be able to raise your hand, ask your question, and get it answered. And you'll be able to say, why did that infant die in birth, Lord? Why did that teenager, that young person, get cut down at such a young, tender age? God, why did this catastrophe occur? Why did these things go over? And here's what God will, God will flip that tapestry of your life over where all those jumbled threads is all you've been able to see. And you try to look at the thread of your life and how it weaves with all the others, but it just looks confusing right now. God's going to flip the tapestry over and answer your questions. Oh, what a day, glorious day that will be. I envision a hobby and craft room were all the things you wanted to learn to do down here but just didn't have the time. You'll be able to do them, learn how to do them. I envision a dining room. Do you know the Bible says we're going to eat in heaven? It's true. I heard some amens right there. All right? We're going to sit down and we're going to have a meal in heaven. I, I don't know who you're going to be dining with, but I want to tell you this. You, don't you can throw your calorie counter away. Isn't that good news? Just throw it away. You don't even need an app for that anymore, okay? Just throw it away. You don't have to worry about counting calories. It's all going to be amazing. I envision an instant replay room. Again, this isn't in the Bible, right? We're just imagining today a little bit beyond what is crystal clear in the Bible. Perhaps you can replay great events in history and see them just as they happen. Maybe the life and ministry of Jesus. Boy, I'd love to see that. Maybe certain events in the Civil War. Boy, I'd love to see. Maybe what this country was like. 
before it became so populated. Boy, I'd like to see that. Maybe you'll be able to play your life back. You'll probably want to fast forward through a few parts of that, I would think, or maybe delete a few, but uh, I believe there'll be a place like that. And I think there may even be a sermon room. Oh, I know we don't need preaching in heaven. People there are already redeemed. There doesn't need to be any preaching per se, but I just like to hear Jonathan Edwards go at it. I just like to hear the Apostle Paul or, or Moses step up and deliver a message. You know what I'm saying? And maybe there'll be a sign that says, Jonathan Edwards preaching today, 12 noon, right here. I want to show up and be a part of that. And I think there'll be a room to sign up for activities and excursions. I think there'll be mountain climbing, sightseeing tours, hiking trips, There'll be golf courses that'll make Augusta National look like golf world, baby. Amen. 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 Oh, yeah. What a day. Glorious day that will be. Third, healing and relief will eliminate our pain. Are any of you hurting today? Debbie and I sat Thursday evening at Albany Medical Center in the surgical waiting area with dear friends. Al Ford has been a friend of mine for 20 years, Al and Debbie Ford. Al has, is our longest tenured elder at Grace, an amazing leader, a wonderful husband, a great father. And Al and Deb typically attend our Saturday evening service at Grace. And just a couple of weeks ago, Deb realized something was going wrong. And she went and had a CAT scan and realized that she had a glioblastoma, the most malignant, aggressive, most fatal form of brain cancer. This woman, so youthful, so active, it came so fast. And so we sat with Al and with two of his daughters Carrie and Adrian and their husbands during the brain surgery. And they indeed biopsied the tumor and found it was indeed glioblastoma as they suspected. No one has ever lived beyond five years who's had that, no one. The average lifespan is, after this surgery, is a few months. Without this surgery, the average life expectancy would be a few weeks. That's how aggressive it is. And after the surgeon came out and shared about the surgery and what he was able to do, we thanked him, and then we all walked to the little chapel nearby and prayed and cried and poured our hearts out to God. Boy, I tell you, it's impressive. It's so impressive to see a godly family living what they believe. And while we all pray for and yearn for a miracle and know God is fully capable of that, the truth of the matter is, Unless God does that miracle, Deb is not long for this world. And as Debbie and I drove away from Albany Med that evening, I just kind of yearned, I just kind of groaned in my spirit and said, Deb, that's the thing about heaven. You see, one day, one day there'll be no more tumors. One day no more cataracts or cancer. One day, no more angina or arthritis. One day, no more walkers or wheelchairs. One day, no more disabilities. No more death. What a day. Glorious day that will be. I yearn for that day. 
The Bible says in Revelation 21, verse 4, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. The song says the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the lame will walk again. What a day. Glorious day. That will be. Fourth, there will be inspiration and worship in heaven that will thrill us. Revelation 4, verse 10 reads, The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. One of the things you get after you read, as you read the book of Revelation is that there will be worship in heaven. There are a number of worship scenes there. And I believe that every healthy Christian, hear me, every healthy Christian has a desire for worship. You know, as church leaders, when a person comes to Christ, we often want to make a worker out of them because we know a lot of things need to be done. We need a lot of help. There's a lot of service, a lot of ministry that needs to happen. So we try to turn people into workers. You know what I think? I think God wants to turn them into worshipers first. God wants to really make worshipers out of us. And out of that worship, in spirit and truth will flow a heart of service where, yeah, the ministry will get done. But imagine a place where we can worship without any inhibition, without any distraction. The best worship service you've ever been a part of with the best singers and musicians, uh, the most inspiration, it'll top all of that by far. Imagine that. For just a moment. And then Jesus Christ, our risen Lord, steps up to the podium and opens the written word and begins to explain to us mysteries in the Bible. And we're all going to have flat foreheads, folks, as we go, oh, now I get it. Oh, now I get it. That's going to be amazing. We'll be like the people on the road to Emmaus. Oh, did not our hearts burn within us as he opened to us the scriptures? I can hardly wait for that. What a day. Glorious day. That will be fifth. Loved ones in Christ will be there. This is going to be one of the most special parts of heaven, without a doubt. Revelation 7, 9 reads, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. Occasionally, believe it or not, I'll have a person say to me out in the community, uh, Pastor Rex, I'm really excited about Grace Fellowship. Congratulations on all that God is doing at Grace. But I, I, I could just never go there because it's just way too big. There's just too many people. And I sometimes smile and say, well, thanks for that. But you better not go to heaven then. You're going to be miserable. There's a lot of people there. This says there's going to be people from every nation, tribe, people, and language multitudes, multitudes that are, no one can even count. I mean, there's going to be a lot of people, a lot of people in heaven. We had 5,496 people 
in attendance at Easter at our four campuses. That's, that's bodies in the building. That's not people online. That's, that's bodies in the building, 5,496. And I agree. I think that is a reason to celebrate because God keeps changing lives. We get to keep hearing life stories and all that. And, and that, that's a lot of people. But imagine how many people are going to be in heaven. I'm telling you, it is absolutely incredible to think about. And I don't know about you, but I have a number of people in heaven I can hardly wait to see. Sunday school teachers who shared the gospel with me for the first time. I'm dying to see my mom again, a fervent, passionate believer. Oh, I pray my dad is there. I don't know. You probably got people in your life like that where you go, I don't know. I honestly, oh, I hope, but I honestly don't know where they stood with God. I look forward to meeting Dr. Drummond again in heaven who poured into my life, who changed my life because of his investment. And it'll be better than any reunion you've ever seen in an airport. You ever seen somebody coming back maybe from Afghanistan or something? Some soldier coming back from a war-torn area and the family's waiting and the little children are eager to see daddy or mommy again? Oh, it is an incredible reunion. I sometimes just watch those and cry. It'll be better by far, Paul said, than anything we have experienced down here. Twelve years ago, Debbie, the kids, and I moved away from a house out in Dwaynesburg, a house we had been in for over six years, a house we loved. We loved the area. We loved that house. So many of our formative experiences in our children's lives had happened in that house. They had learned to ride their bikes in the road in front of that house. Boy, I got memories of that. Out there pushing them, them falling, skinning their knees. And then finally getting it as they learn to write parties, birthday parties, coloring eggs, first little garden we had outside. And I thought when we left that house 12 years ago, I thought, boy, this is hard to do. Man, it's going to be rough. I think I'm going to come out here and just many times and just see what this house is like and to come back here for the memories. You know what? I've driven by twice. Twice in 12 years. You know what that teaches me? It's the people, the relationships that make a house a home. It's not the location. It's not the brick and mortar. It's the people, the relationships that make a house a home. And that's one of the things that's going to make heaven incredibly, incredibly special. And I want to tell you something. Once you're there, you're never going to desire to come back. One of the things that Dr. Maurice Rawlings found in the book I've mentioned to you where he interviewed 300 patients who'd been resuscitated, not a single one of them who reported a heavenly type experience and had got to taste that, not a single one of them wanted to come back. They only came back because they had to. What a day. Glorious day. That will be. Six, there will be rewards and praise there that will humble us. Matthew 16, 27 reads, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what 
he or she has done. Now, please listen closely to me. We are saved by grace, but we're, we are rewarded for works. I hope we all understand that. We are saved by grace, unmerited favor, but we are rewarded for works, how we stewarded this one and only life. And let me break that down for you. What that means is that the godly husband who patiently loved his wife, even when she developed that disease and he continued to nurture her, is going to receive far more reward for that than the husband who had a wife that was always healthy and he just ignored her, took her for granted. The teenager who kept herself morally pure, even though she was so grievously tempted, is going to be greatly rewarded more than the one who gave in and later repented. That couple, that couple that's faithfully given and honored God with the first fruits of what they received is going to be more rewarded than that couple that continued to rob God and refused to grow in generosity and blew it all on themselves. We're saved by grace, but we're rewarded for our works. Heaven is not some bland existence where there's just this bland equality and everything's just the same. No, there will be different rewards, and yet somehow our ego will stay out of that, and somehow there will be no envy or strife. The Bible says that the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he or she has built survives, they're going to receive their reward. We're saved by grace, but we're rewarded by works. Oh, what a day, glorious day that will be. Study and learning opportunities are going to deepen us there. You see, some people think in heaven, God's just going to do this massive download in our brains, and we're just going to know everything we need to know. But, you know, in a sense, that would make us like God if we suddenly were omniscient. I believe we will actually grow and learn in heaven. Listen to this passage, Ephesians 2. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus. Catch this now. In order that in the coming ages he might show. Would you note that word, show? Would you note that word right there? That is a critical word. Here's what that word means. To reveal in a progressive incremental and ongoing way that's what that word means in its text in the Greek God's gonna show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus now the Bible says in 1st Peter 1 12 that even the angels as they saw redemption happening in the Old Testament as they saw little glimpses of the redemption story unfolding angels didn't know it all they longed to look into these things Peter writes and we're made a little lower than the angels if the angels learned in heaven I think it's very rational to think that there'll be some learning we will do and this is one of the things, believe it or not, that excites me. All those books I've wanted to read and didn't have time. I got time. All those things I wanted to explore. I've often said to people, I am such a voracious learner. I love to learn things. If I had nine lives, I could fill them all with learning all kinds of stuff. 
in heaven. Time will be limitless. And we'll have a chance to look into all those things. We were so, so excited to learn. Travel in beauty will be abundant. Revelation 21 verse 2 says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her, her husband. Now, Revelation 21, if you choose to read that when you go home, is an exciting chapter in the Bible. Revelation 21, and it describes the dimension of the city and the center of heaven. And it says that the dimensions, it was 12,000 stadia in length. Scholars say that's about 1,500 miles. That's just the city. If you plotted that down into the United States, it would go from Canada to Mexico, from the Appalachian mountain chain to California. And that's just two of the dimensions. And it says the gates will always be open. They will never be shut. shut. That suggests constant travel and excursions in and out of the city. And it will be done in safety. In safety. The ancient world, you close the city gate. To protect yourself from enemies and trouble and evil. Gates will always be open, it says. It suggests the safety of this place called heaven. You may think I'm crazy, but I think there could very well be interplanetary travel. I doubt if God created a universe this amazing and awesome for just a few astronomers with high-powered telescopes to be able to enjoy it. I think we're going to, our minds are going to be blown. The Bible says, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, it took God about six days to create the world. He'd been gone for 2,000 years. You do the math, all right? You do the math. I think it's going to be amazing. The Grand Canyon, Niagara Falls, Mount Everest are just a glimpse of what is to come. What a day, glorious day that will be. I believe, number nine, there will be work and accomplishment in heaven that will be possible. Now, I know that people think of heaven as a place of rest. In fact, (laughs) even our cemeteries reflect that. You know, eternal rest. It's on the tombstones. Rest in peace. And all the themes about heaven have been about rest. Well, granted, there are themes of rest in heaven. That sounds a little boring to me, frankly. I'm excited that the Bible also teaches there will be meaningful work and achievement there. Look at what it says in Revelation 22, verse 3. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. Now, folks, listen. The curse after sin came into the world was not work. The curse was yard work. Work's going to be frustrating. You're going to earn your living by the sweat of your brow. It's going to sometimes seem futile and unfulfilling and meaningless. That part is going to be gone. That empty sense of exhaustion that sometimes comes with work, that sense of futility will be eliminated. Work will be refreshing and productive. And I think we all admit 
that one of the most fulfilling feelings of all, one of the greatest rest of all is after you've worked hard all day and you lay your head on the pillow knowing job well done, now I can really, really rest. What a day, glorious day that will be. But there's one final thing. Our hearts will brim with joy and laughter. Luke 6, 21 says, Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. (laughs) Heaven's a place of laughter. I want to warn you, there's no laughter in hell. It'll be a place of weeping and wailing and eternal regret. But where God is, there is, there's laughter. The Bible says, a merry heart does good like medicine. The Bible says there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents, over 99 righteous, right? I believe a healthy church is a church that knows how to laugh. Laughter's contagious. Somebody in in a room in your house begins to laugh. You can't stand it. You want to go find out what they're laughing at, right? You just want to go figure it out. What are you guys laughing? You want to get in on it. That's what That's what heaven will be like. It'll it'll be a place of incredible, incredible joy and laughter. Matthew 25, the faithful servants. The master said to them, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Enter your master's happiness. And so in light of all these truths that the Bible makes clear, and in light of the imaginings that I added to to it. I want to make an announcement today that I've never made. We are in heaven. I just want to announce it right now. I want you to make a mental note. We're going to have a Grace Fellowship reunion in heaven. Will you come? Seriously, let's all get together and let's come. We're going to have musicians playing. We're going to have singers singing. Uh, I'm going to preach probably five minutes. It'll be the shortest sermon you've ever heard. It'll be having it. It'll be amazing. 21st day. You'll have 20 days to get oriented to your new home. Check out family, friends, all that. But on the 21st day, let's come together and tell you what. Let's meet at the northeastern gate. Revelation chapter 21, verses 12 and 13 says that there was a great high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates. And on each gate was written... The names, of the, 12 tri- the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And then it says there were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. Let's meet at the northeastern gate. Not the middle eastern, not the southeastern, the northeastern gate. Why the northeastern gate? Because God called me years ago to come from the southeast up to the great northeast part of the United States and allowed me to spend my life here. Let's meet just outside, just around the northeastern gate, 21st day. You got it? You're going to be there, okay? I mean, I'm going to say a few words. Yeah, our campus pastors are all going to say a a few words. If Pastor Justin Yim makes it, he's going to say a few words. Um, (laughs) Sorry, Justin. It's incredible. It's going to be incredible. You don't want to miss that for the world. But can I tell you something? I do know one thing for sure about heaven. It's not going to be exactly like I imagined it. You know why? 
Because the Bible says he's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And imagine this, believer. You're going to see your Lord Jesus face to face. You'll be able to sit down with him. And when you do, I think your heart is going to overflow with gratitude. And you're just going to say over and over again, thank you. Thank you for dying for me. You knew all that I did. You know, all the mischief and evil in my heart, and you still did it for me. Thank you for your amazing grace. I'm going to pray, and then I want you in the coming minutes, as we continue in worship for just a moment longer, I want you to imagine all that God has done for you in the past and all he's going to do for you in the future. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what your word tells us about what awaits us in the next life. Thank you for the joys of heaven, the laughter, all the meaningful activity that will be there. Thank you for the reunion with our loved ones. What a day, glorious day that will be. Most of all, we want to see you, our Savior, face to face. Let us live down here just imagining, just imagining what that will be like when we see you face to face. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.